Welcome to episode seven of the Alt Brow Podcast. Today we speak with Connor Casey, co-founder of Cellarmaker Brewing Company in San Francisco. We talk about the upcoming SF Beer Week, some collaborations they've been working on, and the challenges of being a 10-barrel brewery. If you like what you're listening to, feel free to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And if you'd like to reach out, you can email us. Just check out the website, altbrow.com, for all your information. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the episode. Um, so today, we I didn't plan on talking about how you and Tim got started necessarily and how you met. Uh, there's plenty of other interviews when you didn't, you know, your first six months to a year and a half that you were doing interviews. It's, it's you know, people can Google it. It's right there. It's just the next level. Yeah. Well, I mean, when, when I had asked you to do it, you had even said, like, you know, you're a little bit further along now. You're like, I actually have some, some opinions formed now. Yeah. That you've since, been. <laughs> yeah, yeah. since we did the initial, a lot of the interviews in the, the first year or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So... <laughs> I mean, obviously, the, the, the next big thing coming on into uh, San Francisco is SF Beer Weeks on the horizon. Um, a lot of events coming up. I started kind of going through the list. My wife was reading the list this morning, and she's like, oh, my God, that's only a week, like the first, like, 48 hours. I was like, yeah, I Yeah, know. there's a lot more to be announced. <laughs> all, all the people who are flying by the seat of their pants who are going to announce stuff in the last eight days like we are. I was just going to say all those people, yeah. and I was uh, meeting you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, as far as events go, uh, I'm, I'm definitely seeing in the market people getting away from total tap takeovers. There's still mm -hmm. a couple out there, but I'm talking to bartenders out there. And they're kind of saying they're going for more themed nights. So like I'm working with Old Devil Moon on mm -hmm. one. It's just going to be like a North NorCal, I excuse me, North Bay night. Mm -hmm. So they'll have like Hen House. They'll have um, what is it? Uh, I think they'll have like 101. Maybe they'll have. They're going to get um, Mad Fritz. So that's cool. I mean, I like the idea of uh, we've always done a lot of events, not just us, but with another brewery or two or three because um, it's an excuse to hang out with our friends and people who you don't see that often. So if you can make an event out of it, why not? Right. Um, but I, I couldn't agree more. The tap takeover um, as a concept is it's, it, it's just way it's too tired. simple. It's kind of yeah, tired. Yeah, and, and my experience has always been that I, I go to these things and for an hour and a half or two, nobody's really chatting to the the person on hand from the from the brewery and and then just when they've had enough beers to actually get chatty you're like all right i've been here three and a half hours i'm ready to leave um yeah and then you're like i really want to talk but um but no i i think the idea of, of doing new events for us we really want to do there, there's too much of the same old same old so we don't want to waste our time or anyone else's time doing a tap takeover or anything that's too simple um, this year we're doing a metal show at Amnesia. That's, that's sweet. That were <laughs> and that this it was exactly like based around kind of you know what you're talking about your question here. Um, we we were like there's so much of the same and early on people were like I, I remember there was a, a brewer doing a yoga event and he's like you guys we in our first year of beer week we did a we joked we did a tap takeover at our own bar um, but at the time a brewery with only four fermenters. Um, it was really hard for us to get like more than eight beers on tap at first. Um, <laughs> we were, we still are so grateful that people had such a positive response, but it was like, oh my God, we just opened with four 10 barrel fermenters and this beer, we're never going to rush our beer, but at the same time, um, you know, people are just crushing these beers. And so it was the first time we ever were able to stash enough kegs to get all 12 taps filled. Um, and he's like, man, you should do a yoga event. And I was like... You know, yoga's cool, but we're we're never going to have a yoga vibe. event. Not in, exactly at, at your the brewery. Uh, so we're doing this this metal event, and uh, we're f actually flying in one of the staff's favorite bands called The Well from Austin, Texas. 
awesome kind of Sabbathy uh, metal band, and we're also bringing in uh, two local bands, um, Mesmer as well as Hellfire. Um, Hellfire uh, is, a, is slight, lightly affiliated with the brewery, um, but all really great guys. It's at Amnesia, um, which is run by Craig from City Beer. Mm-hmm. Craig was an old boss of mine, definitely somewhat of a mentor. Um, and you know, we we sell them beer on the regular, so it made sense. It's in San Francisco. It's something different. It's an opportunity for people to have a lot of fun, including our staff. We're we're doing it on a, we're doing it at a time when the brewery tasting room is closed anyway. So everyone gets to have fun, and uh, I'm really into that. It's something different. For sure. That sounds awesome. I mean, as far as events go, do you feel like uh, we've already covered tap takeovers? I mean, if is there a, a, the wrong way to do events and the right way? I mean, as far as perspective and how, how to approach it? I, uh, you need to look at the venue. You need to kind of go like, what? how much can we get out of this venue? Do they have a full kitchen? Um, you know, is it just a tap room? Like, what do I do in this little tap room that can keep it interesting and doesn't, you know, stretch our boundaries too much? I'm not you know, if they don't have a fridge, we're not going to do a cheese pairing. But if if they're like really into that, you know, or they've they've got an amazing, you know, we've done dinners at Monk's Kettle. Um, it's not pub food. It's really like awesome, amazing every single course, and you put a lot of effort into it. And um, it's really for the love of the game. And it's and everyone who goes to that event never forgets. And right. you hear about it for for a long time. But um, it's playing into their strengths. Exactly. I mean, yeah, exactly. Whatever the venue is kind of already has an audience for you, you're saying like, I want to participate my brand or my brewery, whatever wants so, to participate in this bars thing, whatever the in-house the food, the food stuff for us has always been fun. Cause we all love food. Um, our, we have a tap room without a kitchen, which, uh, you know, when you do have a kitchen, it's, it's really complicated. It's, I, don't, I won't go into it, but I'm, there, there's a reason we don't have one. Yeah. And, uh, ultimately it doesn't mean that we don't really like to have fun with food, with the beer. Uh, the tasting room is somewhat of a sterile environment to drink beer and smell beer and experience beer. And, and, uh, it's definitely something, you know, when I have a, a beer of ours off site and, or even if I'm cracking a growler at home and, you know, you, you're cooking something in the oven and you, you smell, you know, the smells of salt yeah. and everything. And it's, it's bouncing off of that. And the beer really pops so much more, um, than it does just in a tap room. And I feel that way about pretty much any brewery, you know, but right. um, the comparison smells um, are, are huge. So it gives you an opportunity though, to, um, you know, not only present your beer in a new way for people who are, you know, if somebody's normally just in your tap room all the time and you tell them to go to an event, maybe it's to a bar they've never been to, mm-hmm. but they get to see your beer in a new light. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously creates business for the account. So it's, you're saying thank you to some accounts. You're saying it, it, you're killing multiple birds mm-hmm. with one stone. You totally. Know? So right way, wrong way, basically playing into. I think uh, outside the box is the key here. Right. It's it's what can we do that's going to keep it interesting for drinkers? What can we do? I want to be one step ahead. I don't, I don't want to be doing what everybody else is doing. So um, for us this year, it was doing the musical event. The other thing we do is we don't. We, you know, we've got about 20 offsite accounts, draft accounts. We self-distribute. The beer's super fresh. We have a good relationship with all of them. There's only 20 of them. They're, they're like family to us, you know, and um, there's plenty of time where, like, demand's high, and we're like, you know, there's other breweries out there that would just drop all their accounts and sell it all themselves, and um, we could do that. That feels like it'd be really rude and really wrong, and um, there are unwritten rules in this industry, and to me, uh, the loyalty to those brands, um, it, it, or excuse me, to those bars is extremely important. Um, but what we do is we rotate. We've basically, we've got some accounts in the South Bay, some in the North Bay, some in the East Bay, um, all the way as far south as Santa Cruz and all the way up as far as uh, Sacramento and Roseville. We basically, we rotate. So at this, you know, we've got four accounts in the South Bay. We've done an event at each of them now, and now we're back to a repeat. And, like, 
that's yeah. just fair and square. Like yeah. there's no, there's no, you know, you know, it's not too complicated, but it's really just making sure everyone gets a turn, not picking any favorites. And we've always believed in from an aspect of choosing who, what bars we sell beer to, um, really looking at the map and going, okay, nice little cluster in San Francisco, check mix of beer bars as well as restaurants that are beer focused restaurants as well as restaurants that are just focused on their food and doing their thing and maybe they only have three or four taps um, that's great too so a, a nice diversity same thing in the in the east bay kind of berkeley oakland area but once you get outside of that for us we're looking at the map and we're saying okay let's make sure we have a bar okay great we have a bar in dublin they're called caps and taps they're amazing great people that covers that whole aspect of the east bay you know we got beer craft in in uh, santa rosa runner park area that you know gives people an area to drink our beer there. So we've always kind of looked at the map and tried to spread it out. Same thing with Beer Week. We do one event in the in the South Bay, one event in the East Bay, one event in the North Bay, and um, I, you know no need to do an event at two different beer bars five miles apart, two nights back to back. You know it's just spread it out. We don't have a marketing team. We don't have a sales team. Right. Um, it's Tim Kelly and I, and, and we'll bring a manager or bartender to have a fun night and a brewer and. Uh, that's yeah, it, you that's know. There's, you need, yeah, man. yeah. We're not we're not trying to do anything too crazy, and um, you know, definitely have fun with it. So, how many uh, northeast IPAs and adjunct stouts do you think you're going to see this beer week? That's that's going to be the big release, <laughs> right? Everyone's um, going to be putting out their um, y- you know yogurt company collab IPA, totally chunky and sour uh, IPAs. Yeah, and then uh, and then your uh, lactose vanilla chocolate mm-hmm. coffee waffle. Whatever. As many adjuncts as you can fit on the label, not because it's a purpose, but just because it's a lot of adjuncts. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, obviously that's the big thing going on in the industry right now. I mean, you guys have done, obviously experimented with lots of different, you know, subcategories of IPAs or different approaches to IPAs, you know, different yeast strains, different hop characters, like, you know, you have your you know, English styles, you have your West Coast styles. Um, I mean, I remember when the East Coast was, uh, as far as hoppy, was really only known for like Dogfish Head 90 Minute. That was, you know, about That's it. a whole different kind of East yeah, Coast Yeah, exactly. IPA. It's a whole other thing. But that, yeah. at the time, I remember for a long time, I think that was, you know, what peop- at least people on mm-hmm. the West Coast had in mind. And yeah, yeah. And so now you've got these brands that are, you know, doing it. And, I, and I've seen, I've actually seen quite a few brands on the West Coast that I, I still liked their versions. Now, given, I'm probably not getting the freshest version of the, of the East Coast ones when I get it from... So one of my friends. That's worth talking knows about. <laughs> yeah, we're drink, talking drink about beer in your own backyard. Be yeah. grateful for your local brewery <laughs> that makes good fresh beer. Buy their beer when you're trading. You're ruining their beer for the guy who drinks it on the East Coast and vice versa. Um, you know, when you're out in Boston, go to Trillium and crush a bunch of Trillium and, and have a blast. And their beer is fantastic. And you know, if you're in LA, go to Monkish and drink a bunch of Monkish. But the idea that you need to drink Monkish in Boston and you need to drink Trillium in LA. Um, and have this beer that travels so far. Um, I don't know. I think we're there. There was a point in time, and it wasn't that long ago. I want to say it was even four or five years ago. Um, and I definitely traded for beer for a while and was into that. And but there was not a, a Nelson IPA in San Francisco, so I had a buddy in San Diego send me mm-hmm. Alpine Nelson, and there was nobody making Galaxy beers in the Bay Area. Period. You know, five six years ago. Um, and I remember, you know, so I got a Growler Hill Farm said Double Galaxy, and it was yeah. fantastic. And it's, uh, you know, really great hop, great beer, great brewery. Cool. Um, now we have local breweries who are making all these things and, you know, varying levels of quality, um, all kinds of different approaches as far as yeast goes, as far as the grain, the hops, how you're using it. But um, there's good local breweries right. around a lot more than there were five years ago. So and you guys just started doing, is it a monthly bottling? 
we do a monthly bottling. Right. It's about all we can handle at our size. Um, it it's something you know we wanted to have packaged in a, another format and in a package format and. Uh, that's the best thing for a lot of people. And, you know, sometimes for some people, 32 ounces of growler beer is a lot of beer. You know, maybe yeah. they're trying to drink a little less that week or whatever. Or they want to drink lots it of different January, things. It is January, man. It's a you know, New Year's resolution. Yeah, the gyms are full, um, <laughs> you know. So, I mean, are you seeing already a problem with those bottles popping up in places they shouldn't? Yeah, I mean. It, that's going to happen. It, like, like, it pops up on the Twitter. Some guy's drinking your pale ale that you bottled in April. Like, I, I don't want to know what that tastes like. Um, I, you know, what are you waiting for? If you got a good hoppy beer in your fridge, open it, drink it. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's part of it. I'd like to think that a lot of it's drank fresh, um, local. I don't know. It's, it's, you know, you can only do so much. I, I think some breweries think that their job's done when the beer's made. Our approach has always been our job is really to make sure that the beer is delivered direct to, not just to the bar, but to the actual consumer in the freshest way possible. And that's why we deliver all of our hoppy beer, you know, we have one delivery day a week on Thursday and all the hoppy beers are coming out on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And uh, every every bar is required to tap within seven days when they get it and to keep it cold. Um, kind of crazy conceptually two and a half, three years ago, people were like, are you kidding me? That's really aggressive. But yeah. it's, it's the way we like the beer to taste. And um, we want people to know that if they're drinking a beer from our brand that it's going to be you know, sub 20 days uh, on the bottles. We put a very clear bottle date. There's no Julian date or any tricky right. stuff like that. And it says drink within 21 days. And um, I even think, you know, drink within like 15 days or yeah. 10 days. I don't know. Sure. There'll be another IPA from another brewery or from, I don't know, someone or, else. Or you can wait 20 more days and get your next bottle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. there's always more beer around the corner. No need, sure. no need to hang on to it. Um, as far as like we were talking about the uh, adjunct stouts and stuff like that, you guys have are obviously known for the um, coffee and cigarettes, you know, porter, another dark malty beer that's got um, some adjuncts. But it's, I would say, like of those styles, it's definitely balanced in my opinion. I've never felt like it was too syrupy. Also on the back end, mm -hmm. like I've got, I had, I do have a, a one bottle sitting in my fridge right now of the Imperial Coffee and Cigarettes from the last time you, when you guys bottled that. Was it last month? Uh, early December, so oh, yeah. so I'll still be drinking good and keeping it cold. Is the yeah, that's the key. Big big thing, yeah, for sure. Um, um, I but think the adjunct thing's something to talk about. I mean, uh, and I think we're constantly wading back and forth between tradition versus kind of bringing up new concepts and and new ideas. And uh, I think a balance is really important. I mean, brewing's been around for so long. I mean, you know, hundreds and thousands of years. There's people who figured out a bunch of amazing flavors a long time ago, and you know, a good traditional English porter, um, no adjuncts, just high quality malts mm -hmm. um, with an English ale strain is awesome, and uh, nobody needs to mess with that. It kind of feels like a little bit of an attention grabbing thing that's going on in the industry right now with right. Um, how many adjuncts can we get in the beer? What is the whack? You know, we put Doritos in our beer. Fuck. Um, like, okay, uh, does it taste good? Is is always the number one question. Um, and, and what is the purpose of putting these adjuncts into the beer? And, you know, did they ferment out? I mean, are you putting maple syrup in your beer and it's post-fermentation and... You don't taste any maple syrup. Yeah, or, or, or it's just you're drinking, like, syrup. Um, <laughs> I think that there's, like, a, a point where you, you want these ingredients to be subtly integrated, but it can't be too literal. You can't literally be drinking a cake in a glass. Beer's a beer and cake's cake. Um, you know, we, we do some adjunct beers and, and I think the market demands them. And I think making sure 
the adjuncts you use are something that you're, you agree with and um, making sure that they're sourced properly and it's not too artificial tasting and whatnot. And right. you know, it's not an extract, you know, use real fruit, use real coconuts, use real vanilla beans, crazy idea, but a lot of people don't. Um, that's important. And being here in the Bay Area, you've got like such amazing like farmers markets and access to some awesome stuff. I mean, it may not be grown right here, but I mean, we have you, access. You yeah. have access to some amazing like you know, and there's producers of different you know whatever you're into in the Bay Area. You can find amazing coffee, amazing chocolate, amazing bread, amazing whatever wine. Um, and so, yeah, I mean that goes to, into you know, um, Cellar Maker as like a San Francisco brand and like an identity of of. You know. Yeah, we're we're not a farmhouse brewery. We're in yeah. the we're in the city, yeah. but we got a farmers market down the street that's pretty incredible at the uh, ferry building. And um, you know, we got Rainbow Grocery is amazing. You know, co-op with all kinds of high quality fruits and vegetables, and you know, we'll use them in a cask and we'll we'll mess around. But we definitely want to buy the highest quality stuff, and it all comes to San Francisco. It doesn't it's not grown here, but and I've definitely had you know. some amazing farmhouse style beers here. Thank I, you. I, I yeah. did like that. Uh, the Solera saison. Lost uh, wisdom. Yeah, so good. That's <laughs> so. something we've been working on for a while, and we're we're uh, we're just gonna keep doing it. I'd I'd love to have that beer so, on tap year round if I could. On uh, so I, I've been really interested in the Solera um, system, and do you want to describe that for the listeners? Um, the the basic description would be that it's kind of like a hundred year soup. Um, in the in the way that we're doing it, we're doing three hundred gallons of liquid, um, and well, I, I guess that's the starting point. That's how big the ten barrel fermenter is, but um, you know, you got a specific yeast culture that's in there and then you're essentially pulling about 200 gallons of liquid um for us that's going into 750 ml bottles um as well as kegs and we're naturally uh carbonating that to me that's a huge uh important part of that style of beer is is making sure it's got at least three months in the bottle um the one we just put out the uh, last week was five months in the bottle by the time it was released um that's where its life really starts in our mind. But it, yeah, you're essentially pulling about 200 gallons, you're leaving 100 in, and then you're topping it off with 200 more, and then you're doing that again. Um, and you know, you're waiting until it tastes the way you like it. And early on, it was about six, seven months in stainless, and, and that time is shrinking a little bit. Right. Um, it doesn't mean it'll be like that every time. You know, right. you, The beer tells you when it's done. Um, but yeah, so that's something an, that's really fun for I us. Think that that and we was, dedicate a whole stainless tank. You know, we've only got yeah. seven 10 rail fermenters and two twenties and, um, we could just as easily crank out a ton of IPA, have five IPAs on tap all the time, yada, yada. But, um, balance, uh, we view our beer menu kind of like a food menu. You know, you got to have your something to, you know, an appetizer, you got your salad and then you got your main course and then you got dessert. We want to have a little bit of everything. Tapless balance is so important. Um, a lot of people don't realize, but you know, if you're a brewery in California, you, you, if you don't have a kitchen, you can't do yes taps. So you have to make it yourself. And if you're running out of a style or you don't have something to please that, you know, crowd of people who just wants a beer, you know, they just want something like a, you know, a lager, a Hellas, a, a steam beer. I mean, something simple, simple. Oh, sorry, a California common. Um, <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? Like they, they just want something. You know, we really want that menu to be balanced. That's super important. So. Um, we do dedicate a tank to the Solera beer and then, uh, the rest it's kind of, it's not dictated by what the market wants. Um, it's dictated by what we want to drink, but it's really first and foremost, making sure that that tap list has, if there's not a stout or a porter, like what the fuck? You know, yeah. You gotta get, get it wrapped out. Yeah. I mean, you know, so this is an element of, you were talking about tradition versus new school. So yeah, you might do, you know, whatever, you know, if the market says, Hey, we did a talk of IPA. There's the most extreme adjunct <laughs> beer we've ever done. Um, it was like the 16th batch of beer we ever did. Um, super weird beer, but it really works. And, uh, I think adjunct with a purpose is important and, right. and trying to conceptualize that beer in your head and going, 
does this work? Do I like this? And, and for me, the huge thing, um, and this was something that we said over and over when we made taco hands, which we won't talk about anymore after this because <laughs> I've talked about it before, but um, it's got to be a beer that you can actually drink a pint of and maybe consider a second pint of, um, whatever that beer may be, you know, whatever adjunct beer is. Um, when I worked at City Beer, which is an awesome bottle shop in the city, um, there were a lot of beers and you pour yourself an ounce and the whole staff's like, this beer is fucking awesome. And you're like, it's, there's a cool flavor in my mouth. Yes, check that box. But is this something that you'd actually want to drink a seven ounce of or a pint of or have two or three? That's a huge thing for us too. Drinkability. Drinkability is huge, yeah. yeah. I mean, lower ABV is nice, um, but even if it is a little higher up, let's make sure the beer's dried it's out. It's not cloyingly yeah. sweet. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, not, you, yeah. Not too heavy on the uh, booziness. You know, and, yeah, yeah, and then sugar. I mean, beer's already got plenty of sugar in it. Ferment, yeah. ferment as much of it out as you can. Well, I was just going to say, like, yes, you have, you guys have done some cool adjunct beers, but then you have something like a Solera system. Like, we're talking about tradition versus new, uh, new mm-hmm. school ideas. I mean, mm-hmm. Solera is actually jumping up in popularity right now, but it's something that has been used in, uh, I believe it was sherry vinegar um, Mm -hmm. production. But the idea that you have a culture that you're keeping alive is a very old school idea. The Mm -hmm. fact that you're doing it in stainless is a little bit different. Like, you know, if you go... A lot of people are doing it in the fooders, and I think we'll, you know, eventually move it to that. But this was kind of something that we had going, and we liked how it tasted, Mm -hmm. and uh, it's important to have on tap for us. And uh, And you're able to keep it from getting too much oxygen in in there as far as, you know, if you have it on wood, you have, you know, maybe a little more worry about acetobacter. Totally, totally. You don't want it to turn to vinegar, obviously. Totally. Knock on wood. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So, um, So far, so good. Yeah, so... Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's a good example of what you guys are trying to do as far as tradition and new school um, kind of play back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talked about the right and wrong ways to do events for Beer Week, and we're talking about, you know, these different kind of popular beers right now. Another thing that's going on, and I'd like to know your thoughts on the right way and wrong way to do it, is collaborations. Like, so many collaborations going on. and. Um, I know you guys have done some. I think you guys have some com- something we've done, coming We've out. done a lot, yeah. We, um, uh, I know it's something we went back and forth on, and there was a period of time where we are like, we've done too many. We need to ease off these for a while. Um, but ultimately, I, it all comes back to kind of like purpose and intent. And um, for us, we brew beer with brewers that we have some kind of a friendship with or our styles are you know, very much line up and, and we have a lot in common. Um, friends in common, but there's there's always a story behind them. You don't, and, and we get these emails, and like it's it's really nice that people want to brew a beer with us, and um, it's not a weird exclusive thing or anything. It's really just people saying, "Hey, I'd love to brew a beer with you," and I have this brewery in you know Tennessee, and you're like, uh, yeah. I, "I've never had your beer. I don't know. I don't. Yeah. It's it's a big long, but it's it's more. I, I guess." There's people who, one of the main things for Collapse for us is that we always want to make something um, that neither the breweries would make on their own. You know, you I make, think that's a good idea. I mean, it seems kind of basic, but you see, you know, it's like, we got together and we made a Simcoe Centennial IPA. And, that and both of them have three and, versions and, of you know, each. And you're like, where did, you know, did you put retina? Did you, did you do anything? Okay, no, it's the same old. That's cool. Um, that's a good beer, but, but you got to do something different. But at the same time, not too extreme just for the sake of saying. Because that's the other end of it. You, you see know. a lot of those too. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's, it, there's a little bit of balance there. Um, and sometimes you just want to give them what, what they want. You know, we did a beer with the other half. It was a double IPA. It had a bunch of New Zealand hops in it, a little, you know, it American probably hops in, really tasty. Uh, it was, yeah, it was straightforward, <laughs> really delicious. Um, that's okay too. Sometimes you just want to hang out with your friends too. So Sometimes you do want to <laughs> hang out with your friends. Sometimes you're more involved than others. Sometimes, the, you know, it's more straightforward. Um, we just did one a couple days ago, so I'll, I'll talk 
talk about that because it's pretty fresh on my mind and, and I'm pretty jazzed about it. Um, since we opened this brewery and, and even a little bit before we opened it, um, Tim and I have always been huge fans of La Cumbre in New Mexico. Um, New Mexico is kind of off the radar for a lot of people. Um, they're not familiar with La Cumbre. Um, they've, they've won a lot of awards, but, but more than anything, it's consistent, really amazing West Coast IPA. Um, other traditional styles done really well, Pills, Hefeweizen, um, but we've just had a ton of respect for the, the brewing science knowledge that, um, that Jeff at La Cumbre has, and uh, somebody who we've always been like, man, I would, I, that's just a top choice to brew a beer with, and um, we had Batch 500 coming up, and we hit him up, and, and we've been in contact with him before. The whole South African hop thing kind of started with him getting a little bit. They got him to us. We started talking about it more and, and you know, in a city that's not as off the radar. And um, So he, he flew out, and we brewed this beer, and it's not something that either brewery has made. We've never made a California Common. Um, so we wanted to make a hoppy California Common, and um, some people, you know, I don't know, maybe they're team beers, but ours is called but Danker's a, but there's Team. A, there's already a dry hop California common in San Francisco. I mean, they just put that out. Oh, I, I <laughs> guess maybe we shouldn't do it. I heard they actually discontinued that, so uh, well, I see know. a you know the market has a yeah, need. A, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I'd like to think of this one as an unpasteurized version that's hopped a little bit more aggressively, and right. um, it, it it aligns our love for hops, but it also utilizes a lager yeast, and um, to to me that was different enough, and and Jeff was really excited about it, and we all knew we could have brewed a big IPA, double IPA, whatever, and. Um, this is a little different, and it's going to be fun, and it's going to be easy drinking, fun beer to have on tap, big aroma. Is that in the tank right now? That's in the tank right now. Very cool. Um, so that you think that'll be out for Beer Week? Um, that will be out for Beer Week. It's going to miss Rate, Rate Beer Fest by about two days, unfortunately. Um, but, yeah, it'll be out for Beer Week. It'll be hitting its prime on Beer Week, I, I really think. So, so you guys will be at Rate Beer Fest. That's coming up. Um, you know, as far as we were talking about uh, people sending off beer and trading beer and selling beer, that's a whole other uh, can of worms. Um, I mean, do you feel like, I, I think Rate Beer and Beer Advocate, and if you want to you know, go over to the restaurant side, you know, Yelp and things like that, they definitely serve a purpose and there's some really uh, cool information on these websites. But do you, do you kind of battle with some of the the negative that comes with that as far as uh, there's definitely you know what? I, I look at it as honest feedback feedback that somebody right. would never be comfortable enough to say to my face um so sometimes you see something that's totally mean or negative and 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 you know makes you feel pretty shitty uh for a little bit um it, you definitely don't obsess over it too much but um you know what it's honest feedback take it for what it is um, people on the internet love to complain, and I'm not just talking about beer, about everything. Um, you know, Yelp culture, all that. It's uh, the internet has given people something. You know, they can stand up and and say how shitty something was, and and people kind of listen to them a little bit. Um, it is what it is. Yeah. I don't know. Fuck it. Who cares? Yeah. Um, do your thing. Make good beer. Run a good bar. Um, there's, there's maybe sift through the insults and find that little nugget of gold where it's actually a legitimate thing yeah, with the beer. You know, like, I mean, the, the like the Yelp thing. I mean, we we I, you know, if something happened with a negative customer experience, sure, we're, we're gonna it. we're gonna talk to yeah. the, the our uh, our staff and see see what happened and. You know. I, I I like my San Francisco bars that have salty bartenders. Like, me too. Yeah, me I too. Like, I, I learned how to drink at the Tornado. I drank yeah, there I a like lot. Tornado. I, I like Zeitgeist. Yeah. I like yeah. yeah. So know what you want to drink when you get to the bar and tip the bartender a buck and everything will be I fine. I don't think that that's I, hard. I, I, I like hard to tip to him more than a buck, but you know, just just play the game, do your thing. Um, 
I don't know. It's uh, bar culture in, in general right now is interesting. A lot of people are staring at their phones. They're on untapped. Um, I'm on my phone sometimes more than I should. But at the same time, when you're at a bar, you're having a beer. Um, a, life could be a lot worse. You're having a good time. So that's directed at the Yelp culture. Um, and, and B, talk to your friends and, and make a new friend and talk to somebody next to you about a beer rather than, you know, writing a, a review on your phone. I mean, sometimes we're serving beers at the bar and, and two-thirds of the bar is just on this orange app called Untapped. Yeah. And um, it's just kind of funny. I don't know. I, I would never sit at a at like a, uh, a chef's table or like at a the, the little four seats, you know, you're, at the open kitchen. You're like kitchen, at a Michelin restaurant. And you've just and got your Yelp cursor just blinking and you're like, or what's you're the taking, next course, taking dude? taking a picture of the chef as he's talking yeah, to you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, this is going on Yelp, dude. Um, I, I would never do that. I mean, obviously it's different, but uh, it's it's it kind of cracks me up. I'd, I'd just like to see people talk to each other. But um, yeah, it's interesting, all, all that. I, I, it is what it is, man. It's 20, 2017. It's a little weird, but... Um, I do like some surly bartenders, that's for sure. That, me too. So, uh, you know, with craft beer, there's obviously there's like the, the big, you know, um, kind of legendary brands. There's grandfather brands like we've Sierra got, Nevada. Well, so Sierra Nevada, New Belgium is a little younger, obviously, but Sierra Nevada really... And, and, of course, Anchor falls into that kind of gray, gray area as far as... I, I would say New Belgium was super influential on me because I lived in Colorado for five years right. during college and that was like a that was in the kegerator yeah um, and so was Odell and uh, Mountain Sun and Avery really those those four um, to me that's like the first definition of what beer is of right. what craft beer is in my mind and, and a lot of Sierra Nevada pale ale that mm -hmm. all my family from out here just drank all the time at every family event and I was like man this is bitter um, <laughs> and now it's really really great but, so, so you've got these brands that you know we're talking 89 to 95 got you know started to get their their feet you know really mm -hmm. dug in and then you had the first kind of bubble burst and mm -hmm. you you know you lose you, you know lost brands like you know pete's wicked ale but mm -hmm. we you know but there's survivors like sierra and rogue it's kind of know? natural in any yeah. industry yeah and then there was this kind of the second wave i would say you know 2005 things started really ramping up Mm -hmm. um, and now we're still kind of at, in that, and some people are arguing that maybe we're in the tail end of that. I'd say it's pretty crowded right now. If you're a big brewery, I'd say if you want to be a brewery that makes more than 100,000 barrels a year and you're not already really close to that number, good luck. you're late to the party, <laughs> yeah. and you should so, try and be boutique, but I guess you already, I mean, you're, I guess you're in a weird in-between. But So this is going to go into what the question I was, was going to get to, which is I feel like there's kind of a third wave and it's a lot of um, younger folks that are that were raised in those from those two, uh, you know, earlier, uh, you know, craft beer kind of rises, and they. But there's this younger generation, uh, you know, call it millennials, whatever. I don't, you know, it's a loaded word, obviously. But I feel like there's people who are they're more. There's a lot of people who are really just in it for the craft. I mean, there's always been those people who are in it for the love. But I think there's now enough customers out there that will pay a premium. And that can actually make a business out of somebody who is keeping it small. You know, as mm -hmm. far as an older business, you can say that that's the Russian River, that's the Vinny model. You know, he mm -hmm. grew organically and stayed small. And they're just now breaking ground in mm -hmm. Windsor for their new facility. Mm -hmm. It's taken totally. this long. Troy Casey called it a lifestyle brewery in, a, in an interview I saw, and I thought that was uh, pretty spot on. But I think the people who are involved in the day-to-day, -day, if they have an ownership percentage in the brewery that is somewhat significant, they can make enough money to live their life the way they want to live. And life is really expensive. Um, especially but, in San Francisco. Especially in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, you're telling me. Um, but 
to, to do what they want to do and to, you know, have a, have a good life and, and work in an industry that, that they love. And you don't need to make 20,000 barrels a year to do that. You don't need to make 10,000 barrels a year to do that. Um, selling direct to consumer, not dealing with distributors, um, selling your beer selectively in bars that you know are going to take care of it and your own tap room or tap rooms, which is a different topic. But, um, I think that's really important. Um, do you feel like you're a part of like this third wave of craft beer where we're talking about younger people, we're talking about different business models. Do you, do you feel like that you're, you're part of this like next wave? Um, I don't know what wave we're a part of, but to me, um, selling a beer direct to consumer is where you have the most control. It's where your beer tastes the best. Um, you can't really do that at a large size, plain and simple. Like you're not, our, our oldest beer and the, the freshest Sam Adams you can find might, might still not line up. Um, but ultimately I, I think that what we're talking about here is there's, there's breweries that are able to serve a small area. They're able to sell their beer in their tap room at a, at a nice margin, which allows them to exist in whatever city or area they are. And uh, it's not about numbers. It's not about quantity. It's not about volume. It's simply about quality beer. And kind of, we, we say this all the time, but how much is enough? How much do you need to make financially as a brewer and as an individual to be content? There's breweries out there that want to take over the world, and I'm not definitely not naming names, but they are just out there to grow, 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 and never stop and get another another warehouse and another bottling line and then a canning line, and then and then we're going to get a fourth warehouse. And next thing you know, I mean, it's just this huge beast of a thing. Um, we all started working in a brew pub, and that's what we know how to run, and I don't know that I know how to run a production brewery. Um, plain and simple. It's Nor like, do you even want to. Do I want? It's <laughs> right. and and you know from a from a you know this is not about the money. Mon- money is important for your business. Money is important for you have to make a living. Um, I have no problem saying that. But at the end of the day, how much do you need? And if you can sell enough beer to pay yourself a good salary, to pay the people who you who work for your company a good salary, we we just everyone who's full time here has full health care. Like all, all these little things. What else do you want? What else are you trying to get out of this? Are you trying to take over the world? Are you trying to be in 45 states and I've got, you know, 3,000 accounts and just big numbers and like, who gives a fuck, man? Like, how does your beer taste to the majority of people who drink it? How does your beer taste to most people? I'm not talking about, you know, you're one of these breweries that makes 100,000 barrels a year, even 60,000 barrels a year. Your brewers are drinking the IPA right off the tank that, that, that you know, they transfer two days before. They're drinking a one-day-old IPA. They think all is well, but you're shipping your beer to Japan. You're shipping your beer all over the U.S. You're, I mean, it, it's just like, is that what you want? Like, when somebody cracks that beer, wherever the hell it is, like, do you feel okay about it and how shitty it tastes because it's old and because it's oxidized and because it's gotten skunked and, and sun exposure and all these things? It, being a small brewery, you can control 99% of that. And it's a, to us, it's a how much do you need? One of the things I really liked that I heard from uh, Sante Darius was that they were talking about how that because of the amount of like funky beers they put out there, like, yeah, our lines are probably infected. And that, Oh, his keg, Tim knows his kegs are infected too. He he doesn't have, he, we have, we have (laughs) quote unquote Brett kegs and, you know, we'll still put IPA into them because we know bars are serving them fast, but we're not going to exactly like age an Imperial stout in one for for beer week six months later. That's what I was getting to is that if they know that's going to get drank fast, so they don't care. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not going to develop 
and, and you're keeping it cold, you're keeping it dark. Keeping I, it. I think they're a great example of a brewery that's, uh, you know, what you want to call it a wave, whatever you want to call it, but they are on the same page as us as far as they're, they're able to sell their beer direct to consumer. And, and really, like, to, to me, that is the most satisfying on a very basic level, serving direct to consumer and seeing people's reactions. What made me fall in love with selling beer and selling beverage in general, because I used to sell wine before beer a little bit, is seeing the reaction and being able to either describe a beverage to someone or offer them a beverage that is is a little different or more special or, or just made in a way that they've never experienced and to see their reaction, whether it's a smile or a look of intrigue or whatever it is, that's so exciting. So if you were to cut that off and you know not be able to experience that, that's then yeah. you're just working at a company at that point. Yeah. You're, you you got you know because so much of it is you you know you're just paying bills and doing crap that any other company does. That's that's like the best fucking part right there. Yeah, that's, eliciting a reaction to see to want. see somebody yeah get get stoked on like a pint of beer. Like at the end of the day, you're like yeah that's why I do this. Fuck yeah. And um, I think that guy's stoked on this beer. Like it's plain <laughs> and simple. Like you know like sure you got the money's important all these things but but really to us that's the most important thing. Um and and. Being, uh, you know, you know, we've got some investors, but like we're the the people who are involved here heavily have a, a good stake, and and therefore there's an element of, of really why why would we blow it up if you, if you make for us if we were to make ten thousand barrels a year, make five times more beer, we'd be selling it at a fifth of the margin. I don't even think we'd make twice as much money to sell six times more, five times more beer than we make now. Yeah. How does that make any sense? <laughs> why it's like you want to jump in the big leagues. Not really. It's, just for, like, it's you thinking maybe it's it's just for ego? numbers. Ego. I mean, ego's a thing. I think some people want to take over the world, but it's kind of like be the really little brewery. Be I don't know where the mid-sized brewery falls these days, but you're you're either a big dog or you're a little dog. But when you're in the middle, you're competing with the big guys and the big guy pricing. But you want to do special stuff that the little guys do, and you want to use hops that you can't get in quantities to use in your year-round beers. But you kind of fall in this weird in-between. And are you gonna like drop your half barrel five or ten bucks to try and get it down to the price of you know these bigger brands, or are you gonna be trying to be special? But you're not because your beer's everywhere, and because you're big there's a distributor, so then your beer's old, and then it was stored improperly. And I'm not saying every distributor does that, but a lot do. Um, what, I mean, what's, what are you trying to accomplish, really? So yeah, I mean, do you feel like... Well, let me... Actually, let me backtrack. There's an analogy that I heard that I, I want to get your opinion on, and it kind of goes back into you're talking about, like, you're not sure where the mid-sized brewery falls, is, um, you know, I've heard... Uh, you know, higher ups at some of the bigger craft breweries say like, you know, there is a storm coming as far as like the end of the second bubble of these guys that grew during that second, that second mm -hmm. uprising. And, you know, you have your little breweries and they're like a little boat on the ocean and they <laughs> can see a storm coming and they can turn real quick because they're tiny. Yeah, but the big boats, it takes them a while to so, turn around. So the big, so the, you're, the either, you're either a giant barge and you're just saying, fuck it, I'm going to go yeah. right through that storm and you will survive. Mm -hmm. You might, you might uh, lose a couple mm -hmm. deckhands, but you're going to, you'll make it through. And this then is it's, the most perfect And then it's ever. those middle-sized yeah. boats. They're like, I don't know what the fuck to do. Yeah. I can either turn really slowly and might still get hit. This, it's so, <laughs> this is so spot on. Um, yeah. I mean, it's pretty much where we're at. I, I like being small. I like that our, you can turn on a dime. Well, you <laughs> so. know, uh, one of our batches is 300 gallons, which is a lot of liquid. But at the same time, like you can do a pretty weird beer in 300 gallons, and like worst case scenario, if it's bad, you just dump it. Yeah. Um, you did not dump 
you know, 100 barrels of beer, you dump 10 barrels of beer and you yeah. move on. Um, be, you know, certain hop varieties, you know, maybe you're only able to get like 50 pounds. Yeah. Like, oh, what does that mean if you're a big brewery with 100 barrel fermenter? It means nothing. It means people don't taste it. So there's a mean, lot yeah. of things, you know, creatively and in general and, and just a lot of things you can do as a small brewery to differentiate yourself, to be special, to ha- to, and to, to really have fun with it. From a size perspective, you don't, I think it used to be, we want to be a profitable brewery. All right, you got to get bigger and bigger and bigger and, and you just keep going and like there's all this momentum, but you know, at, at what cost and what are you really trying to accomplish? Are you trying to be a profitable business? Are you trying to make the best beer you can? Are you trying to make sure that people drink your beer and it's in a really great shape? Um, I think it's really a format thing. Selling beer direct to consumer has an awesome margin, way better than wholesale. Um, it's almost laughable. It's, it's, it's like five times as much almost. Um, so you're seeing a lot of breweries who have a tap room, tasting room, um, you know, kind of attached to their brewery, and they're able to, to sell their beer at an awesome margin. It makes it so that they don't have to get huge. They don't have to go for, for numbers as far as quantity and volume, but they can focus on these smaller batches and, and boutique beers and, and do things that make no sense to a large brewery or even a mid-sized brewery um, because it's a draft-only batch and you can tack an extra dollar or two on, on, the, on, the, on the price of the draft and, and do something crazy. And it's, there's nobody in a room or in a suit or you know, saying, you can't do that. And the bigger your brewery gets, the more no's there are, plain and simple, when it comes to beers and being profitable. And, you know, you're seeing breweries and they're like, you know what, this beer is so expensive to make. So we made it an $8.12 ounce. And then people are like, well, you know, the tap room selling that freaking Budweiser County brand stout for $12, 10 ounce, you know, like, and, and you're a little guy and I want to support yeah. you. And, and, you know, you're telling me that there's a shitload of mushrooms and cocoa nibs or whatever the fuck is in the beer. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm tasting it and like, sure, I'll pay an extra buck or two to have a beer that is super unique and special. Um, so by eliminating the, uh, you know, the, the distributors really, you know, we've never dealt with a distributor. It's all self-distributed. Um, I'd rather pay a guy, you know, as an entry level and, you know, we just promoted our guy who was delivering kegs and cleaning kegs, and and now he's the number three brewer here, and, and he's learning. And that's awesome. Um, he's so, he's so not he a actually... big beer nerd. He's just <laughs> he, he he likes beer and he likes making beer and he pays attention. And um, you know, it's entry level, but I'd rather pay a guy to do that than have a distributor do that and take a cut of a third, which is what they take out of your draft. And and you don't make that much on wholesale anyway. So why? And when you... the keg gets delivered, they don't. If somebody has a question, they have no idea. Yeah. Like this guy's now a brewer. Like, your guy. Oh, uh, like, look at look at the keg color. It's got the ABV on there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's it's it's really a control freak thing, really. If you want to, you know, we have a relationship with everybody who serves our beer. Uh, we have a relationship with so many people who drink our beer. We are able to sell it exactly how we want at exactly what margin. And being able to control that uh, means you don't have to swing for the fences and, and be a huge brewery. It means you can be small and do, do whatever you want, you know, make a crazy beer and you know, maybe it's silly expensive, but who cares? It was fun. It was worth doing it. Right. Um, other breweries can't touch that. There's a certain point where they just say, no, I can't make that beer. And, and I want to make it with real fruit or whatever, but I just, I can't. Can't justify it. It doesn't appeal to my market, you know, or yeah. by the time. Or your margins more your, like Your it. margins or, you know, it can't, you know, you're, you're going, this is going to be a dollar fifty an ounce by the time it gets to a store. And like, I'm still not making, an, you know, I'm Anything. barely breaking even on it. It's like. So being small, it's it's a you know there's a lot of freedom, I guess. Branding always kind of has a sleazy, used car salesman kind of vibe to it, but I do think it's important. Like as far as 
if you're at this scale, you can really just be yourself and you can represent, you can have silly beer names and you can have yeah. like, you know. I constantly feel like there should be a, a filter who's like some older person um, who tells me no all the time and, and they're, they're just not there. <laughs> and uh, as a result, we have some really silly and fun beer names and we, t- we talk about that all the time. We're like, man, somebody should be telling us, no, you can't yeah. call a beer Dank Williams and have a, you know, a parody label. And, and right. then you're like, we do this and are we going to get in trouble? And one time we did. Yeah. Um, thanks, Dole. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it, yeah, you kind of feel like somebody should be saying no, but it, it, it's really fun to, to kind of do whatever the fuck you want. Um, balanced hapless, like I mentioned earlier, that's kind of always reins us in um, from getting too crazy. But, I mean, I mean, it's it's fun to do kind of. Do you feel like this also applies to like being able to have a salty bartender, like we talked about earlier? Like, yeah, like yeah. Listen, like that's what you get when you come here. Like, I've yeah. I've been salty with a customer before because I knew my bartender was on the fence about you know something said to them and and wants to but can't and and they wanted and, uh, they needed you they needed you, you to back them say, up. You can't you can't say anything to to a bartender. You can't say. I mean, they're people too. And yeah. Some of the way that uh you know the ways that people treat you know service industry in general just drives me crazy and uh sometimes you got to push back and they're totally blown away like oh my god i can't believe you did that and and a lot of people would tell me that's unprofessional but um i have yeah i have no problem (laughs) 86ing you know somebody because they say something inappropriate to uh you know female bartender or something like you're you just don't ever need to come back here i was going to ask you about hop contracts and that's obviously you know we're talking about those bigger breweries that, you know, are mid-sized craft or large craft that, you know, they decide they want to play with some new hop. I will say that I was talking to um, one of the guys from Hen House, and uh, they make awesome hoppy beers. They told me, like, as soon as, like, some new hop variety gets hot, they can't use it anymore because the big, the bigger craft brands just buy mm-hmm. it, buy it up, and then they're like, "Well, get on to the next one." Like, yeah, I, out we, I mean, we talk about that all the time. We're like, you know, the Budweiser's trying to, you know, fuck the little guys by buying out all these breweries, but if they really want to fuck the little guys, they just buy all the Simcoe. Um, <laughs> um, you know, really though, it's it's interesting how that works, and you can see it when um, I'll, I'm going to name names on this one. Uh, when you got Sam Adams, you know, to put puts out their new IPA or something. There's like a couple sexy hops in there, and then there's a couple where it's like filler. But you know, the bigger you get, like it's you, you just have to say again, you have to say it's like what we were mentioning five yeah. minutes ago. You have to say no to a certain beer because you go, I can't get that hop in the quantity I need or even close. And they're not even using it for like an aroma addition. Like they're no. they, they're just like saying they're just doing it to do it. By the way, it's we've, not we've it's not risky th- to talk shit on Sam Adams. By the way, so we'll uh, go for it. Tim used to work there, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I, I think it's really cool to be able. To there's certain varieties they just don't grow enough of and to be able to use them is, is really fun. And, and it's, you know, it's a privilege. You're like, Hey, I get to single hop this and there's just not enough for any other brewery to introduce it in their lineup at all. So do you guys get really down and dirty on the, like the science and like the different oils of like the hop varieties? Like, do you, you yes. Um, we, I don't know how much I want to go into this, but, um, (laughs) yeah, no, I would say there it's interesting, um, to, to actually one point I wanted to make something you mentioned about a minute ago, um, you're talking about bigger breweries and these hop varieties, but when we're interacting with the hop growers, and it's a plain and simple point to say, do you want to let, you know, of course you want your big customers in any business to, to get a good pick at the good stuff, you know, like the, those people are very important to you. But if you're a passionate farmer, if you're passionate about more than just money and you're a farmer and you're passionate about the quality of your product, knowing that the people who are buying your hops are putting those hops into beer that then gets shipped to a distributor 
and then ah, to another okay. warehouse, and then it's warm, and then it goes to Bevmo, who also stores it warm. And by the time somebody experiences, you know, X Hop Farmers um, Simcoe that was so banging out of the bag, by the time it gets to consumer, like how well does it represent that person's Simcoe? Like and their hard work. And, and their like, hard work. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like it's like you know, you're a butcher and, and all your meats rotting. Going and you're and like, it's all going to McDonald's. You're like, you're, yeah, and you're like, no, that's but <laughs> I sold it, you know, and I got a new car. But uh, you know, I think that's kind of important, and I think that. You know, the hop industry is very interesting, and we took our first visit to uh, Yakima this last year, and um, a lot of different farmers up there, different philosophies, um, experimental brands. Um, I think the picking window is something really interesting that we noticed is um, it's so crowded during the, the heart of that picking window that you could have a pretty badass variety come out. And if, it, if it's in the middle of Simcoe and Citra and Centennial Harvest, there's just no labor to, to pick it. Like, un- unless it's better than all of those by a lot, nobody's going to mess with the infrastructure for those other hops that are already there. But if you have this banging hop that doesn't get garlicky, oniony a month after the core picking window, grab or, it or it's fully <laughs> mature a month early, like, yeah, man, um, that's kind of a crazy concept. Um, you know, when you're smelling a variety and you're like, why is this not blowing up? And you're like, yeah, well, you know, it's a timing thing. So um, that's you interesting. Thought, you thought you were late to the picking party and yeah. then you find some primo shit and you're like, whoa. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's really, that, that whole industry is fascinating and it's growing really fast, just like the beer industry. And, um, you know, our, our consumers demanding it at the rate that it's, I, I mean, it seems like they're growing a little more than they need to this year for the first time in a while. Um, you know, time will tell how the pricing goes with that. Um, I have no problem spending a little more for the higher quality hops. We never have. Um, I think those guys work really hard and, um, quality is extremely important. Um, I have heard some discussions about hops being blended down to like a happy medium where like all the good and all the bad all goes in and you're never going to get that amazing hop but you're not like and i don't know if that's a little brewery thing you know the selection thing is huge but you got to buy a ton and you know we don't we're small um but at the same time the conversation with these farmers is hey we're taking your simcoe and we're putting it with this other guy simcoe who grows you know two miles down the road and then we're putting it with a simcoe powder uh, a lupulin powder and then we're serving it you know it you know we, we make this ipa in 16 days and it's on tap, and it's gone in 11 days. And every single pint that was consumed in the tap room, mostly at accounts and out of these growlers, it's just ripping fresh. And it's the best possible, um, you know what, no, I don't want to say that. Uh, it's, it's a really good representation of your hop. And, and as far as execution of freshness and how it's handled, it's a really, really, I don't know if you can really, like, mess with that. Like, it doesn't really get any better. Um, so to me, like, if you're a hop farmer, you're hearing that, and you're like, yeah, man, you know, I get paid, but that's really important to hear that people are really taking it to the next level and, and the, the way they experience it. And I don't know if this will happen, but I could see farmer brands starting to exist where people are really into a certain farmer's crop. Um, I think that's happening in other industries too. But I, I think where you go, like, I want hops from X farmer because he crushes it. And it could be a preference thing. Some brewers want a different thing on different hops. Um, we like to keep like four different kinds of Simcoe on hand. We have one that's <laughs> super classic cat pea, one that's like stone fruit, um, very like kind of new new school Simcoe. I don't know what to call it, but it's it's different. It's delicate. It's it's nice. And um, 
we do the same thing with the Nelson, and whenever we do a single hot beer, we like to hit it with all these different representations of that variety, not just one. It's not a, it doesn't mean it, just because it's a single hot beer doesn't mean it needs to be a single lot beer. Right. Um, so if you really want to wrap your head around that variety. Well, I mean, this goes back to what we were talking about, um, terroir. Like, you know, totally. And you're saying that, yeah, in San Francisco, we may not have, like, the farmland for some of this, but we're also talking about hops, and you're, you have the relationship Nobody's, with the farmer. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. But, but going directly to the source and working with them and making sure they know that you're presenting the thing that they put their life's work mm-hmm. into in the best possible way that you can and bring them beer. I mean, those guys, it <laughs> seems like way. they get a lot of beer for the first, you know, during the six weeks of harvest or so, and then but it seems like the it. rest. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. We don't, uh, we don't have a marketing department or marketing expenses. So if it, you know, if it's a couple hundred bucks to send some beer out to some hot farmers, like that's totally important and who, who better to drink it. And, you know, some of these new varieties come out or like the lupulin powder. And I was going to um, ask if you guys are using, we, we powder, sent yeah. some out to a farmer and he's like, I haven't had a beer with this yet. And you're like, dude, like <laughs> you you know that some of the big guys are using it. And yeah. Like, yeah. Um, we, we are using the, the powder. Um, it's, it's not, it's in some ways it'll change the game, but, but it'll be subtle. Um, I notice a punchiness to uh, the beers that we use it in. Uh, I think the best example would be our all citra pale Dobis. Um, we did a batch recently, and instead of doing, I guess Dobis has like a in a twenty barrel batch, it's about fifty pound dry hop, about two point five, two point seven pounds per barrel. Um, instead of using fifty pounds of pellets, we use twenty five pounds of pellets and then in place of the other 25 pounds of pellets we used about 11 pounds of the powder Mm -hmm. um so what's cool about it is you're getting about five percent more yield out of your beer it's not a lot but in that case it's like 10 gallons of beer i mean that's cool it's punchier on the aroma and on the flavor it does seem to fall off a little bit faster but that's not a problem for us that's where a big one of of these large breweries we talked about earlier might be shaking their fists in the air like new technology tastes amazing but it means nothing to me because my beer doesn't get into consumers hands in sub 15 days i mean it's still in the queue first in first out in the warehouse with two batches in front of it that i gotta sell through so you know fuck all that i it's it's not good for me um, but we like it a lot. I don't think it's going to take over pellets. Um, I don't at all. I, I think it's just, it's going to be something, another tool in the toolbox and, uh, it gives you a nice punchy aroma, but I don't know. I, and the yield thing's nice. It's not huge, but it's nice, but, um, it's, it's something different, but we, we, I'd say we put our money where our mouth was and signed yeah. up to get those the next like four years. Cause we like it, and they're doing Simcoe, Citra Mosaic, mm-hmm. um, the, uh, the the three big ones up there, and um, it's really nice. It's it looks like a big bag of keef, and it's really <laughs> really potent. And and uh, I, one thing I would say, uh, or two things I would actually say, um, one of them is kind of just a theory of mine, but we crack a lot of bags of hops here, so um, whatever that means. Um, the first theory would be that when you're using pellets and, and this is not a new concept but when you're using pellets there's it's vegetal matter that's what that's what hops are right so by just adding in the powder you're cutting back on the vegetal thing so if you want to dry hop a beer to high hell um at a certain point it's going to start to work against you with that vegetal character and the the powders are going to just you don't have that you're not putting all that in there so it's brighter um, but it also, I seem to notice that the same way you get the garlic onion qualities on later harvest of uh, different varieties, it seems like the powder 
isn't as susceptible to that character. Right. Um, I don't know if it's that if I'm I'm not a hop Some, scientist from like chlorophyll or something that's either like, that yeah. or you, I kind of wonder if like is the vegetal matter starting to rot and that's what is emitting this garlic aroma. Yeah. But if you were to tap off the you know the key for for mm-hmm. lack of a better word. Is that having like the nice bright tropical fruit? Because it seems to. It seems to not. We haven't noticed any garlic onion in any of that stuff. So it's not um, getting grassy from going overboard on it. Yeah, and it's, not, and it's also not getting like garlicy, chivy, and yeah, it's like it's like five or ten percent better in like four little ways. Um, and, and you get a couple extra gallons of beer. Yeah, uh, you know, ten extra gallons. Like we're we're stoked. That's like a hundred pints. We're pumped yeah, on that. That's pretty cool. Um, so yeah. Um, it's interesting. It's different. It, it it changes the game a little bit, but it's you, you can do just fine without it, but it's pretty cool to have. I put some in a volcano vaporizer the other day and got to smell some of that, so that was fun. You s- smelled <laughs> it? Did you in- I, inhale? I didn't inhale. We just yeah, like... I feel like it probably pinched yeah, the yeah. lungs pretty No, bad. we just like, you know, uh, opened the bag and get a big face full of the, of the vape <laughs> from it. Uh, so, I mean, as far as IPA goes, do you feel like the category is getting a little bit too broad? I mean, that's something that, you know, uh, I think Cellar Maker is obviously known for their hoppy beers. And um, I feel like you guys are, of course, you, you know, we talked earlier, you do, you've made some adjunct beers, you've made some different takes on beers, but I don't see you guys doing a bunch of beers and calling them IPAs. We haven't done a grapefruit IPA and we never go. will. <laughs> um, uh, but do you, f- do you feel like it's getting too broad? I mean, I'm seeing like sour IPAs. I'm seeing, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously all the fruited ones. I'm seeing... First and foremost, is it good? Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, like I, uh, if somebody handed me a grapefruit IPA, you know, as much as I'd love to roll my eyes at it, I don't know if it tastes good, I'll, I'll drink it. Um, but uh, yeah, the IPA... There's a lot of different IPAs. To me, that's an understatement of the year. Uh, yeah, totally. I mean, <laughs> we, we could go in, into it big time, but I think to to me, there's so many new hop varieties that are so cool, and you know, little companies are putting them out. You know, Indie Hops has experimental hops, and so does Hopsteiner, and so does Yakima Chief, and you, you know, and then there's New Zealand hops, which are almost experimental hops in them in and of themselves because people haven't used them, and people are looking to these you know American experimentals, but they've never even used the Australian hops other than Galaxy. So you, now you got Enigma, and you got you know you got Ella, and all these. So really, like I think there's enough colors on the on the the hop painters palette here to stay pretty fucking busy. I mean, like we're 500 batches plus in, and we still haven't used El Dorado. We, you know, <laughs> like we we barely have like are able to work equinox in because we still really like simcoe and citra and nelson and and you know centennial um and and we use a lot of new cool stuff so and and we have all these south african hops too and like it's there's so much you can do with hops it's it's not like 10 or 15 years ago where it was just all kinds of like nice piney classic floral stuff which are, are all great hops and we do love all the classic hops but it's you have so many different colors to play with these days. Right. Why why are you using the fruit, man? Like you're still trying to master this other like, thing. You're still trying to get your grips yeah. on on this one thing you started. Like finish what you started and, almost and like you can yeah. have so much fun with all these different varieties. Like why do you go from okay, we made the Citra IPA, now it's time for grapefruit. It's like, wait a second. Well, hold on. <laughs> what about like, you know, Equinox and what about El Dorado and all, all these other kind of varieties that maybe your you know your brewery hasn't gotten into. So very few breweries with a flagship 
kind of uh, format are able to get through even a third of the new varieties because maybe you know they've got their seasonal or maybe one of their handles is a rotating IPA that they do that's experimental or whatever. But that's everything hoppy we do is rotating experimental. Um, I'd say at this point it's probably half repeats and half new. Um, which is, has been an interesting evolution because in the very beginning it was, it's always going to be new every yeah. time. And then you hit a point where you're like, so I got some of these greatest hits in my bag. And like, you know, I really like tiny Dankster. Like it's a really great <laughs> really pale So I, I, we should probably make that again. Cause I, frankly, I selfishly just want to drink it. You miss it. Um, yeah. yeah, I miss that beer. Um, but you know, it, it, so there's so much you can do with hops that, and, and yeast too. I was just going to um, say, we're also talking about, um, methods of adding the hops, like when and where and how much you add. Talking about temperatures of your whatever you're uh, dry hopping or mm -hmm. when you're, you know. So we're talking about methods. You're also talking about all the other ingredients and how they're going to express hops. So, I mean, your different yeast to play with, your water yep. chemistry and all these things, and you haven't yep. even touched yep. fruit or yep. any other yep. adjunct. So, yeah. why, so that, I guess that's kind of my opinion on it. Um, we did not mess with different yeast and IPA other than 01 until... I want to say it was a year ago. It was when the first batch of Wicked Juicy came out, um, which I believe was Beer Week last year. So really, we have used we've been 001, you know, which is the the, the for for those who don't know, it's a neutral um, California ale strain that that you know most of the IPAs you drink in California have 001. It's it's clean, it's neutral, uh, it ferments nice and dry. Um, it really lets you know the the, the hops shine, so to speak. Um, so we made hazy beer with that yeast for about two and a half years. Um, it was just unfiltered. It was just heavily dry hops. So its appearance was lightly hazy. And the whole haze thing is, is kind of crazy. It's been talked about a lot, but, um, we never set out to make hazy beer. I remember we were about six, seven months in and one of our regulars came up to me and he's like, Hey man, when are you going to make another one of the hazy beers? And I was like, what do you mean? Like I, appearance is, is important, but it's, on these heavily dry hop beers, it's not necessarily on my radar as like the, the most important thing. I want my the beer to smell good. I want it to finish dry. I want it to taste good. Um, yeah, I, I, that's you know, and you know, certain hop combos are better than others. So that those are my focuses. There's obviously you can go into all the other things we mentioned a second ago. Right. Um, but but you know, this I remember this guy was like, hey, I haven't you haven't made a hazy one in about a month. Like, what gives? And I'm kind of like, why does this fucking matter? Like, who? Are you happy with the pail or the IPA in your hand? Yeah. Who cares about it being hazy or not? Um, and it kind of stuck with me as like, it kind of like bothered me. Like, right. why do you care about what it looks like? Like if... But if, clearly that's a thing now. So, <laughs> and I don't even know if it was then. I mean, and this was like a short while ago. And sure, there were, you know, the East Coast breweries had been doing hazy beer for a couple of years at that point. But the we were using 01, which typically drops clear. So I didn't really understand... Um, what the big deal was, but I think it's just, you know, we were heavily dry hopping these beers is, is what was going on. And some of them were staying hazy, some weren't, and there wasn't even a consistency to it. You know, certain brands, you know, Tiny Dankster, one batch is clear, the next right. batch is hazy. And I'm like, I, I kind of like it either way. Like it's a little yeah. soft when it's hazy and when it's not, it's a little more crisp, but that's and okay. It's, 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 it's the same beer, but it isn't, but it doesn't really bother me either way. Um, you know, for a packaging brew, there's a whole other discussion right. and paranoia and how do we get this, you know, consistent and da, da, da. But I think that's part of the new, you know, generation you mentioned earlier, brewers that are, you know, just kind of going for it and they're like, you know what, I like the way this tastes. So I'm not going to worry that this batch is a little hazier or less hazy than the last. Um, so 
the whole hazy thing is interesting. We never, in my mind, um, so a, a guy from California probably shouldn't define the New England IPA, <laughs> but I'll just say um, an expressive English yeast, um, which is the term we use all the time. Uh, hint, hint, that's code for New England style IPA when we say that on our menu. Um, an expressive English yeast, um, like the Conan yeast, which is was used in Alchemist um, in Vermont, and London 3 is used by breweries out there as well. Uh, and there's a couple other brewery, uh, yeasts that, that brewers use. But um, we were just doing 001, and they were just unfiltered West Coast pails and unfiltered West Coast IPA, which I thought is totally different. And I thought it was fucking hilarious when people are saying, oh, this is a New England double IPA. And I'm like, actually, it's got 001 yeast. And then we came out with a collab with Other Half, and we used Conan. And right. it totally cleared up. And people are like, they made a West Coast beer with Other Half. And I'm like, actually, the one that you <laughs> think is East Coast is actually West Coast. And, and the vice one versa. That, and, but... You know, are you, is it the haze or the yeast? I mean, yeast is an ingredient. Haze is 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 a part of your appearance, but um, what's and more also, important? And, and yeast I mean, is a living thing. You can't always tell it what to do. Exactly. Man. Especially yeah. if you if you want to go to these small breweries that are are not uh, you know trying to dial in exact, yeah. especially on appearance. There's like, priorities, but appearance yeah. was not you know not top high up three on there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I just kind of thought that was funny. I was like, man, this make my head spin. But um, <laughs> you know, I should probably keep my mouth shut. But uh, it's kind of interesting just watching that whole evolution and um, some of these beers are really hazy and I'm kind of somewhat old school in my own mind about um, I, I like beers on the clearer side. Some of the extreme haziness is, is a bit much for me. Um, I, I like like a nice hazy beer that I can still kind of see through um, is kind of my sweet spot where it's a little soft, it's a little juicy, but it's also not um, just this, I don't know the milkshake right yeah that's a whole other thing uh, like. we've made a couple of those and and we always said or i always said you know you got to cross the line sometimes to know where the line is right. and um you know we made a couple that were super freaking hazy and it's like Ugh. and uh <laughs> some of those yeasts the 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 english yeasts are uh it's, it's interesting what they do to the beer and, and it's a different character entirely and some of the hops that are in an 01 beer come out as super diesely or super dank are all of a sudden softened and almost sweetened up by this right. yeast. And then hops, that to me, like Amarillo or Rewaka that are super soft and oh, a one beer or, or like Motueka, <laughs> well, they get kind of like lost in that beer. Uh -huh. Or you're adding a hop that like has a slight sweetness to it into a slightly sweet yeast, and then it's like too much sweetness. Um, it's kind of interesting. It's almost like certain lots of like Nelson, for example, can get really diesely and certain lots of Nelson. I'd be like, Oh, throw that diesely Nelson in with a, like a, you know, an East coast style beer and, and it, it, it'll it soften it up. But this really beautiful fruity Nelson, let's throw that with a one. We're not yeah. trying to hide anything, any of the weirdness in there. Right. Um, so that, that's really interesting kind of just the way those yeasts interact. And it's not going away to, to any of the old school brewers that are really upset about it. Right. It, it's, it's just, it's, going to be a thing and it'll probably get sectioned off as its own thing and jbf in like 10 years probably or five it takes years. a while usually yeah but um it's interesting to watch i mean there's a lot of ipa out there but at the end of the day like freshness to me is number one hop selection is number two i'd totally rather have a one day old cascade ipa than a 40 day old citra ipa even though i prefer citra of the two right um so freshness is supreme and and uh i'd say you know having fun with the hops with a purpose um 
as but, with any ingredient, sounds like. As with any, adjuncts, yeah. You know. I mean, I sometimes I see other people do a certain combo, and I'm like, man, that's just to me seems terrible. But I, and I don't know if people are spinning a wheel or if they're just not familiar with those hops, so they're going for it based off of you know the the little you know technical notes that are available online right. regarding that hop. But um, we, because of our rotational nature, and we brew a lot of hoppy beer. We're cracking bags of these hops all the time, and we're very familiar with them and how they change from crop year to crop year and how they change from lot to lot. You know, there was a period of time where we made a big generalization about Citra as having like a really weak year, and then it was actually Lagunitas um, was like, we hate this melony, like tangerine, like mango, Citra. You know, Jeremy, you, Jeremy likes his dank resin. Yeah, and, super and dank. You guys like your citrusy, soft fruity. Soft fruity. Yeah, yeah. And so it's just kind of funny, you know. Like you can't generalize it by year, lot to lot. There's hundreds, thousands of lots. It's, it's really fascinating. And this same thing with the New Zealand thing. You know, you work so hard to get a hop like Nelson, and then like a third of what you're getting is like a different profile than maybe what you're going for. And you know, it's super dank or diesel-y or kind of like almost noble spicy character. Right. And you're like, man, I just want that gooseberry thing every time. <laughs> um, this was hard enough to get in my hands. So it's, it's, it's interesting. The whole hop world's fascinating. It's growing fast. Um, everybody's making an IPA, you know, even uh, what's, what's a uh, classic brewery in Cooperstown, New York. Uh, uh, Omegong is, oh is making yeah. an IPA. Like when I saw that in Beer Advocate or whatever, I'm like, whoa! Like they're just doing. Like, they're just be bringing like Belgian beers to New York. Yeah, and then Allagash hasn't broken yet, and yeah. they never will. Well, what about? Uh, and then there's the brewery. They they'll do the breweries. The cumul- IPL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so <laughs> that's all kind of interesting. I mean, people want IPA, but make a good one. And uh, I think we're starting to see some brewers and and. Uh, in certain areas who never plan to make an IPA and then they're like, it just doesn't exist in my market, so fuck, I'm going to make yeah. an IPA. Um, there's a couple of breweries in Colorado kind of doing that. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Um, Do you feel like we're just behind on, like, terminology? Like, as far as you have all these different kinds of IPA, I mean, of course, like, to w- there's on one level IPA as a term for marketing. Mm-hmm. There's also from, uh, I was listening to, um, Shady Oaks episode on um, the Brewing Network session, and uh, they were talking about how they did something where they wanted to put like Hoppy Farmhouse, and mm-hmm. supposedly with the labeling uh, with the TTB, they're like, oh no, you have to put like IPA. Like they dictated to them like accepted terms on a label. They're just trying to do them a favor so it sells better, man. <laughs> so, yeah, it's. I mean, but I, do you feel like we're just behind on like? different kind of like terminology terminology like you can do like maybe there should there be more styles or should it be less styles should we be like has has experimentation like gone further than what our current language like it's just <laughs> beer man <laughs> uh no i mean it depends on how much you want to get into it really like it's all about what's in the glass if it tastes good if it may you know and, and it's made well and uh, that, uh, I don't know. That's number one. Like, uh, categor- the way you categorize a beer is is definitely not even close to the top of uh, the priority for us as a brewery. You know, like, obviously you got to put something on your beer board, but like, that's for the BJCP dudes to figure out. Like, I don't. It's it's not up to to us. I I, I know what you mean. There's so many different IPAs, but I don't know. I find one. Just I, make something I, good. Find one you like, and yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. drink it locally. Yeah, yeah, drink it locally, drink it fresh. What do you want to see more of in uh, this new year? We're we're in January of 2017. As far as the beer scene goes, what do you want to see more of? And then the follow up question is, what do you want to see less of? 
Um, you can answer what in either I wanted, order. <laughs> I think I like constantly mentioned what I wanted to see less of um, throughout this, the, the adjunct thing, definitely. Um, I think adjunct with a purpose, and I think even if you go by like the traditional Belgian mentality that like if you're going to use coriander and orange peel and these things that people should kind of notice them, but it's not the first thing they notice and they don't mention it. And, you know, until you told them that those things were in the beer, you weren't fully convinced or aware or it wasn't on your radar. Like nuances, like, like, like let those adjuncts tiptoe around in your beer and do their thing. But when you're just slugging someone in the face with adjunct flavors, uh, it's kind of artificial and it's too literal. Um, that's just my opinion, of course. That's why we're on a podcast. But um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. There's a little tradition that uh, I'm, I'm into with, with that kind of stuff. Um, this might sound totally cliche as far as what I'd love to see more of, but I, I do love these kind of light lagers, and society's doing it really well with the bassarettes. Yeah. Um, lagers are really hard for us to make with limited tank space. It's kind of like, well, we could fuck that Solera beer and <laughs> just make a bunch of lager and probably be really happy with that too and you know that's a big toss-up maybe, maybe we should think about that but um don't get rid of that no i know right i know i know so um <laughs> it's you know these are the decisions you have to make but um easy drinking lagers lightly hopped beers um are, are definitely something i'm into and just the the local thing um i know trading happens and all that but Support your local brewery, super cliche, but, you know, drink beer at the source out of a bright tank is, uh, it's really as good as it gets, beer that hasn't been moved around and is in, in a undisturbed kind of, uh, you know, place as far as its freshness goes is, to me, the that's the top of Beer Mountain, you know, you, you want to drink really fresh beer off a bright tank that you know came out a couple of days before and breweries with a format like ours and there's plenty of other ones in the Bay Area, Alvarado's doing it, same thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Brewery, they announced that they have a new IPA on tap. Well, they didn't sit on it for weeks. Like, it, they transferred it a couple of days before and it's on tap, so you should go drink it. And, like, shit, five years ago, eight years ago, I didn't know where I could go where social media and the fact that breweries were rotating and didn't have flagships, I don't know anywhere I could go where I would know in my heart of hearts that I was having a one-day-old IPA. Like, it, that didn't exist. Like, I yeah. probably would have driven really far back in the day to do that because um, everyone had a flagship. So you're like, I don't know if I'm drinking the end of the last batch or the beginning of the new batch or whatever, and it's all good and fresh if you're at the brewery and it's turning over pretty fast. But, I mean, the idea that when these new beers come out at these newer, smaller breweries, this new wave you're talking about um, at a certain size, like, knowing that you're drinking a one-day-old beer, like, that, that's pretty cool. Like, that, that didn't exist a while ago. So um, hyper-local neighborhood breweries, um, small batch beers. Um, I don't Less wanna, adjuncts. I don't want to say table beers, but I do like, you know, that 5-5 yeah. five, five range is pretty nice. Um, so Sounds good. Well, thanks yeah. for having us. Um, looking forward to, to trying some of your new uh, – the collaboration with Lacumbre you mentioned. Uh, you know. It's a collab with uh, Other Half and Trillium coming up. We're brewing in about a week and a half here. Um, doing another collab with Tired Hands, which is always a blast. Um, and uh, we're actually brewing with Alvarado on Wednesday as well. That's awesome. So uh, it's a... Busy. You're busy. Yeah. <laughs> a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of collabs, but they're all good people and they're all good friends and they're all people whose beer we respect the hell out of. So that's important to me. Cool. Looking forward to seeing him. Thank you for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, bud.